Before we get into this week's teaching, I just want to pause for a moment to tell you about our Spirit and Word Leaders Summit coming up in March 2017. Dr. Sharon Stone is going to be with us, incredible prophetic minister with great insight. Mark Stevens will be leading worship, there'll be other guest speakers and myself, and we'll have 24 hours from a lunchtime on a Tuesday to lunchtime on Wednesday to grow as leaders. We want to build incredible, spirit-filled churches that are growing and changing and transforming their communities. If that excites and interests you, come along to be with us. Bring your team and let's grow as leaders. Go to revivechurch.co.uk to find out more and to book in. Come and climb up my branches and eat apples and they would play hide and seek and when he was tired he would sleep in her shade and the boy loved the tree. And the tree was happy but time went by and the boy grew older and the tree was often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree and the tree said, come boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, sell them in the city, then you'll have money and you'll be happy. And the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy and the boy stayed away for a long time. And the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back and the tree shook with joy. And she said, come boy, climb up my trunk, swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife and I want children. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house, and then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house, and the tree was happy, and the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy, so she could hardly speak. Come, boy, she whispered, come and play. I'm too old and too sad to play said the boy, I want a boat that will just take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree, and then you can sail away and be happy. And the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy. And after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on the branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, said the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now said the boy just a quiet place to sit and rest I'm very tired well said the tree straightening herself up as much as she could well an old stump is good for sitting and resting come boy sit down sit down and rest and the boy did and the tree was happy it's a poem called the giving tree it's one of America's most famous children's books. Uh, They study it in their uh, primary schools, but it's actually a really divisive book. It's got lots of critics. 
the biggest criticisms are centered on the the boy and the attitude of the boy they say it they say the book encourages consumerism that it encourages just wanting and wanting and getting and getting and I can see, you know, where they're coming from. We have a consumer society, don't we? We're used to seeing what we can get and being honest, for the lowest price we can get it. And, and we're driven to many extents by where, where can I find the best deal? What can I get for what I am willing to give? And I think it is an ugly notion of giving. It's a really ugly notion of giving. I will give, but I want that and I want as much as I can get of that. Yet, I think the critics in seeing all the, the book's humanistic flaws, I think they miss the beauty of the book's grace. Because, you know, the central character isn't the boy. The central character is the tree. And it's not a weak, gullible, easily manipulated tree. It's a kind, humble, generous, loving character willing to give, willing to offer all they have. Because the tree understands that it's not about what you get from the offering. It's about what the offering brings. The offering brings joy. The offering brings sustenance. It brings home. It brings comfort. It's a notion of giving that is out of step with modern social convention. But, you know, I don't think God is too bothered about... So modern social convention you know he establishes the norms not Facebook you know and God's norms are gracious merciful abundance it's an offering of self to meet need and you know we've said haven't we that 2017 we're declaring it to be a year of a favour an outpouring and I really want us to understand what that means. If we're going to grasp what favour and outpouring means, we've really got to get our head around what offering and giving means. Because they're two intrinsically linked. You know, favour and outpouring doesn't mean, well, I'll wait here for things to be poured out for me. Because that's not how God has ordained stuff to work. You know, the outpouring is a result of the offering. And it's not an offering that we give to get. It's an offering which brings. We serve a sacrificial God, don't we? Throughout the Bible, we see man's relationship with God and his relationship with man is established on the concept of sacrificial offering. You know, and you find it throughout this, whether you're looking at Abraham and Isaac and, you know, Abraham's called to even sacrifice his son to God. And he's willing to make the ultimate offering, but what does it bring? He doesn't do it to get something. Actually, what he discovers is the willingness to offer brings a replacement for Isaac. It brings God's blessing and favour and grace. You can read most of Leviticus if you want. And you'll discover so much is about sacrificial offering. You know, Whether we then go on to the New Testament and you're reading about the alabaster jar and the perfume which is poured out for Jesus, or whether we focus on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God has mandated not just a need to offer, but an attitude towards offering, an attitude towards giving. And it's that there is a cost. There is a cost. But understanding that cost, 
and understanding what that brings is fundamental to our attitude towards offering. And I know we can think of, but grace is freely given. Yeah, it is. And you should be blessed and thankful for grace that's freely given. But it's only freely given because, you know, of the cost of the cross. You know, and let's not focus on the grace and look past the cross. You know, we need to understand that actually the reason grace is so freely and abundantly available to us is because it was the highest act of offering ever known. Jesus gave everything on the cross. And we know that it tore the veil in two to bring access. Because the offering is not to get, the offering is to bring. So if Jesus is the ultimate model of offering, then what does he show us about how we should be, how we should offer? You know, Jesus came before God all the time, and every time we come before God in prayer, you bring an offering to God, be that thanksgiving or praise or petition or, do you know, even your heartbreak and your anger and your bitterness and your sadness, and your joy, and your laughter. When you bring that to God in prayer, you make an offering. Every time you open your Bible and choose to read, you, you, you make an offering of your head space and your heart space. You say, God, I'm choosing to give this to you. By delving into your word, you offer yourself. Every time you serve in ministry, you give and offer yourself. You offer your time, you offer your talent. When you express care to another, you choose to offer compassion. When you give into a financial offering, you say, I give what is mine, what I've worked for, but I give it, Lord God, to glorify you and to establish your church. When you lift your hands, your head, your eyes, your toe, whatever, in worship... You offer to God. And it's all praise and it's all connection. And it allows God to give. And Jesus modelled it. You know, in Luke 2, we see the 12-year-old Jesus being left behind by his parents who head back. It's a David Cameron moment, but Jesus wasn't in the pub. He stays in the temple. But he stays just to listen. To listen to the teachers. You see, Jesus knew that he just needed to give God time and give God's word time. When he's tempted in the desert, in Luke 4, what does he answer with? Every time the, desert, the devil tempts him, he answers with scripture. He answers with scripture because, because he's given time to God to the study of the word. Jesus needed to give time to God to study the word. And the word was the foundation on which he could stand when he was pushed. We know he frequently gives himself away in prayer. It tells us time after time after time that he took himself away to be alone, to seek God. So he models how we should be with God, that we should be spending time in prayer, in petition, in his word, being taught. Because we want to glorify God and we offer to God. But equally, the Son of Man calls himself, the Son of God calls himself the Son of Man. This son of God washes the feet of those who would betray him. He eats with sinners. He lays hands on the, the sick, the broken. You know, he models that actually in offering, 
himself to others, he glorifies God too. You know, we've got to get our head. The offering goes both ways. We need to offer to God our praise, our prayer, our worship, our time, our financial offerings. But we need to give to others too. Because God honours both. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And it's not saying the financial giving is bad, but what he's saying is the tokenism and religiosity of, well, I give that because I have to give. Means that they take their eye off what they're called to give, which is their hearts. Jesus showed us we're to offer to God, but we're to offer to others because both glorify him. You know, and I think actually, most of us, we can manage that concept of giving to God, can't we? You know, we know we'll come, we'll pray, we'll read the Bible, we'll give in our financial um, offerings, we'll praise during the service. You know, but giving's a challenge. And sometimes maybe giving to others is a challenge we need to be willing to meet as well. I was thinking in 1 Kings um, 17, where Elijah is instructed to go to the widow and he asks for bread she says well I've got nothing I've just got this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil and she has a choice to make and she chooses to give and we know that the story tells us that the flour kept coming and the oil kept coming and they never ran dry because you see the act of choosing to offer and give to another brought abundance and provision and blessing in but we've got to be humble enough to do that when we offer to God and when we offer to others you know we've got to offer I think with others with our church family it's got to be born from the compassion of Jesus we've got to be willing to offer compassion we've got to be willing to engage but we've got to do it with commitment and that requires great humility because humility is important if we're going to have total, trusting, honest, giving. One of the um, Greek terms, I think it's, yeah, spendo. How cool is that? Spendo means to pour out. You can't pour out if you're not committed. You can't pour out if you're not humble. Doc Permus, singer-songwriter in the 1950s, um, was struck with polio and uh, it left him in a wheelchair and he um, got married and he was marrying one of, uh, a lady at the time who was in the films and she was a film star and she was an actress and a dancer and at the wedding uh, he was in his wheelchair and the evening um, whatever you call it what do you call it the evening do there we go <laughs> the evening do took place and he's beautiful wife who was a dancer he said go dance and she danced with every man and all the friends and he sat in his wheelchair and he watched and he grabbed a napkin and the lyrics of a song came to him which he later gave to the drifters save the last dance for me you know but actually what he had was the humility and the love to go this is your day this is your night 
go dance. Because I know that you saved the last dance for me. And in the humility and the totality of that offering on his wedding day, he says to his wife, go dance with everybody else, was because he knew of just the love that they had, the connection they had, and he knew that she'd saved the last dance for him. And it was just a moment of beautiful connection and humble, total offering. And we need to look at our attitude towards offering. I was looking at the, uh, studying a bit of the word and in terms of like the Greek and the Hebrew and so on. And the, the word that struck me was for offering and gave it's there for both is didomai. And it has so many branches, but do you know it means to adventure? It means to bestow, to commit, to deliver, to minister, to set before to yield I don't think you can do any of them half-heartedly I've never known a half-hearted adventurer I think they just stayed at home I've never known anyone half-heartedly commit because you're not even trying you can't half-heartedly minister and you certainly can't half-heartedly yield You know, offering is so much about our attitude and our stance. You know, and we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to question our attitude. Other meanings of the word, they look at, they say you need to turn your mind to give. You need to see that your giving is a seed with the intent to yield. You need to give with diligence. You need to freely bestow. You need to spend yourself. Time after time after time, it highlights the totality of giving. The widow's mite is probably the scripture so many of us know, where it says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow uh, put into very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this, wid- this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to give, all she had to live on. You know, that's somebody who knows to yield, to bestow, to adventure, to say that I trust that actually this little that I have belongs to God that takes a lot you know and we need to think about how do we approach our sense of offering be it financial be it the word be it in worship be it towards others and I think can I just give you two practical bits two practical bits um, yeah Heather can you just just play some of that makes me feel spiritual (laughs) this is a couple of years ago we were at one um, the camp and it was you know cold Um, it had all the other blessings of camping like walking to the loo with your toilet roll in your hand so everyone knows where you're going (sighs) 
But one night in the uh, big top, the worship was playing, and and uh, throughout that night, I saw God just kept drawing my eye to things, and you know, you just follow God's gears, don't you? And I saw two moments where two hands said everything that needed saying. I saw one hand reach for another. And it was the hand of a child. And it reached up. And it reached up for the hand of a mother. And I saw the mother's hand reach down and the fingertips brushed. And then the mother's hand grasped the child and lifted him up and lifted her to herself. And they moved out the rows of chairs into the space and they just, they just danced. And they just wailed and swelled and laughed and giggled and just, just had communion together before God. And there was just joy there. And it was a connection between parent and child that spoke of trust and love and relationship. And I just think that that so mirrors the connection that God would have with us if we would offer our hand to him. He'll reach down and pull you up and he'll dance. And then later I saw another set of hands and again it was a child and a parent. And this time the the hand of the child belonged to a a middle-aged woman and she reached down and my gaze travelled from I was also like being spiritual my gaze travelled from her hand to her face and I saw just a face full of care and compassion and, and love and I looked as she reached down for the hand of her mother her elderly mother who was sat on the chair huddled really wrapped up in a in a blanket and the the elderly lady's lips just moved and bumbled along and I was sort of struck with a sense of sadness at what was clearly um, dementia visible in the parent and she huddled as she did she seemed like a small child a bit unsure unfamiliar surroundings lots of noise lots of light and the hand of the daughter reached down and again fingertips just of love touched the shoulder of the mother and then the hand came up and the, the child's hand just enveloped the mother's hand and slowly she lifted her up and the mother looked at the child and there was a flicker a flicker of recognition a recognition of love and a grace and a family and they got up together and the, 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 the girl whispered in her mother's ear and I I don't know what she said and I don't want to know what she said but a smile stretched across both their faces and they just walked out together into the space and you know they they didn't dance all well they just moved and they just moved up and down together and up and down together and movement was enough Movement was enough because it was just a vehicle for connection. It was just establishing something done together. And it was so graceful and it was so elegant. 
and it was played out in the atmosphere of praise and worship and the presence of God and I just thought again you know when we lift our hands up God's hands meet ours and they lead us into dancing and they surround us and they reassure us and they remind us and they remember us and they comfort us and they love us because ultimately hands are there to be held aren't they got to offer him we've got to offer him in whatever way we can so that's the first practical bit will you just offer him your hand will you offer him your hand but secondly it just comes back to the idea of Jesus' sacrifice that he offered to God you know, it's not something transactional to get. It's entirely votive. And by that, votive means something that's offered up without the intention of recovery. You just give it completely. That's Jesus on the cross. In fact, the Hebrew for this type of giving is anathero or anathema. It just means to lift up. In the Greek, it's the word shoe. S-H-E-W. That's a cool word. I'm going to do a sermon on that one day. It just means to lift, to present. With no intention of recovery, it's just to have this, just yours, God. And the best example are the burnt offerings in the temple. People brought the highest value in that, at that time, animal they had. And you know, if you were rich, it was a bull. If you were poor, it was a pigeon you just brought your best and you put it before God and the whole point of the burnt offering the, the, the Hebrew for the burnt offering is olah it just means to ascend you brought an offering to ascend to God to give your praise, to give your offering to give your thanks, to give your all to God that it would just lift to him And I think if we can grasp the key of that, you know, we can grasp so much. You see, when you light a fire, warm air goes up. It rises. When you light a fire, things will rise. And actually, what it, theoretically, you'd think, well, if the air that is there goes up, what's what's there? What's replaced it? Because when you create convection, It draws things in. In the natural world where heat rises, air is drawn in. And as air is drawn in, we create movement. We create wind. And the more you burn, the more uplift you create, the more is drawn in. The convection of communion. I give this to you, God. Because if, if God has designed that in nature, I believe God's designed that in the heavenlies. If God in nature says, I cannot have a vacuum where nothing exists, and when something is offered and it goes up, I bring things in to replace it. If that's what happens in the natural, that's what happens in the heavenlies. 
And God says, when you bring your offering to me of praise, of worship, of finance, of thanksgiving, whatever it is, when you pour it out, spend it on me and it ascends to heaven, then the blessing of heaven is drawn in and it will fill and it brings life. got to light the fire you just got to light the fire and it don't matter whether it's your pigeon you throw on it or your bull you got to light your fire and if we want a year that says that it's the year of favour and outpouring then we need to get our head around our offering because when, when things are poured out it's because they're being poured in somewhere that's been vacated what's it been vacated by? Let's present our offering. Because it's important for our family, guys. Let's bring our offering and let it ascend and let's see what God draws in to this family. Because I believe that when we bring our offering, it's going to draw in forgiveness where condemnation. It's going to bring in relationship where there's isolation. It's going to bring peace where there's confusion. Joy where there's sadness. I don't know about you. Let's just draw in this building. Let's get it built. Let's make our offerings. Let's just have done. We've wandered around enough, haven't we? You know, we've wandered around enough. Let's draw it in. But it starts with whatever fuel you've got. You know, what feeds flames? What you throw on the fire and oxygen. Stu mentioned it right in the briefing this morning. Jesus said, I need to go. What did he do? He ascended. I need to go that the Holy Spirit can come. I need to ascend that the Holy Spirit be drawn into your lives and all the blessing that brings with it. The breath of God blows where offerings are made. breath and God blows where offerings